Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. We are now officially three months away from the CanMed 23 Innovation and Investment Summit, which takes place May 15th through 17th at the Marriott Marco Island Beach Resort in Florida. Believe me when I tell you, you do not want to miss this event. Not only will you get to learn from our oral presenters who have been curated by our esteemed advisory board, but we also have four intensive professional development workshops planned covering medical applications of cannabis, strategies for fighting plant pathogens, laboratory compliance challenges, and investment in cannabinoid innovation. We also have a number of networking events planned, including beach dinners and open bar cocktail hours. If you have received your invitation to CanMed 23, register today to reserve your spot. And if you have not yet received an invitation, go to canmedevents.com now to request one. My guest today is Dr. Marcus Roggen. Marcus is President and Chief Scientific Officer of Delic Labs, a licensed cannabis and psilocybin research laboratory focused on extraction optimization, analytical testing, and process development. Marcus has been in the cannabis industry since 2014 and has held several executive positions in analytical and production companies. His research into process optimization and analytical methods has been recognized with a number of awards, and he has become a trusted advisor and mentor to multiple startups, startup accelerators, and, and organizations, including CanMed. At CanMed 23, Marcus will be presenting the topic of birds, bees, and buds, how to talk about cannabis and how to label it correctly. During our conversation, we discuss some of the issues with current cannabis labeling, as well as some potential alternatives. More specifically, we discuss how THC percentage is miscalculated, the fact that only a fraction of the THC in cannabis flower is actually consumed, how joint architecture affects the amount of THC the smoker consumes, why the ABV percentage in alcohol and the THC percentage in cannabis are not one and the same, and how establishing a standard unit of cannabis products may shift the focus away from THC percentage and towards things like aroma, terpene profiles, and flavor. Before we get to my conversation with Marcus, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, JuvaLife. Founded by pioneers in the science and business of cannabis and guided by a team of highly acclaimed medical professionals, JuvaLife brings unprecedented depth of knowledge in the science and medicinal effects of cannabis. Their vertically integrated approach allows JuvaLife to carefully oversee every aspect of development from cultivation to consumer with deep expertise in research, testing, and efficacy. It's an approach that enables not only quality and consistency of product, but most importantly, it assures accuracy and legitimacy of testing and research data. Learn more at juvalife.com. That's J-U-V-A-L-I-F-E.com. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Marcus Roggen. 
Good afternoon, Marcus. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast yet again. Thank you for having me yet again. <laughs> All right. So you have a problem with cannabis labeling. You've written several articles on the topic, and you're going to be presenting about it at CanMed 23. So let's let's get into it. What is wrong with the current way that we label cannabis? Uh, a lot. Uh and uh, you have to come to the event in Florida to like hear all about it. Uh, but here yes. I will give you a, a quick uh, summary of it. Um, before I give away what is wrong with it, except everything, uh, let me explain where I come from. So I came to the cannabis industry out of university, just finished my postdoc in chemistry, um, and I have no personal background in cannabis. So I came to it new and fresh. And so I, I might have looked at things a little different and it's like, not that's why normal, normally people would say, oh, that's the way it's always been. I was like, why do you do this? And so I started asking things uh, with my main research field of cannabis extraction, right? That, that's where most of my work comes from. But it then also dawned on me at some point that the way cannabis um, is labeled um, is mathematically wrong. So that's how it started. Because um, you see on, on flower labels that there is a total THC value or a total CBD, but effectively every cannabis cultivar nowadays is just pure THC. So total THC. And um, total THC is made up of the natural produced THC acid that's in the flower and then THC that, that happens after decarboxylation which hasn't happened yet in the flower, but it's the compound you get when you smoke and you want because that's intoxicating. And instead of labeling, this is how much THC is in, a THC acid is in there, but people want THC, people came up with a total THC number because there's a weight difference between THC acid and THC. So therefore they're correcting this. And when I was explaining this to my fellow researchers who really have no background in cannabis and just, uh, students at the uh, university here in British Columbia at, at UBC, um, I stumbled over the point realizing that the weight correction is done for the THC acid weight loss, but not for the weight loss of the sample. So it's mathematically incorrect because you're forgetting the denominator. Um, the best example is if you take pure THC acid crystal, like a pure THC acid crystal, you would normally think, yeah, that's pure THC, right? THC acid, THC is like, it's pure THC. It should be there for 100% THC or total, 100% total THC. But by the mathematical formula, it would be 87.7% total THC, which makes no sense, right? How can a pure compound not be pure? Right. And, and so it dawned on me, you're forgetting this. Uh, denominator and you're not correcting for mass. And so I wrote about this, but when I then started thinking about this, does that have any influence? I realized the whole industry sells its products based on one number, total THC. Unfortunately, yeah. Aside from total THC being mathematically wrong, and I find this as a scientist interesting, but I think the general public thinks geek uh, or nerd and moves on the general public should be interested in the fact that cannabis is just sold at, as 
one number as total THC. And yes, that's what the customer want, but that's also what the, we educated the customer about. Right. And there's a historic reason why that is because THC was the, is the main intoxicating compound and it was like the first one we could test for. So we saw it, we made a number, we bred for it, we focused everything on it. But if you take parallels to other industries, alcohol is not bored by the alcohol number in it. Because if the highest number of alcohol is what you are after, then every time you go into a wine store to buy something, you walk out with a bottle of vodka. Right. And uh, you should all drink ever, ever clear. And, and the US shouldn't drink any Budweiser or Pops Blue Ribbon because German beer has more alcohol. And I generally can't understand why you wouldn't, why you drink American beer, not German beer, but that's a different story. So this focus of total THC is preventing the industry from building on its um, aspect of flavor. Like the, the, there is the intoxicating aspect of cannabis, but then there's the connoisseur, the high quality, the, the craft cannabis that everyone talks about, but then you only sell it as total THC. Right. It's like, so that was my, my internal conflict um, that then made me think about how could we correct that? Right. No. And, and it's interesting too. I mean, when you mentioned that it's just the way that it's always been and, you know, people might not be questioning in it. Um, I'll be completely honest. I hadn't actually really considered the way that we're reporting THC potency um, until I started reading through what you've written, getting ready for this interview. And I hadn't actually considered what that percentage actually means. But when you think about it and the parallel to, I think, alcohol kind of drives this home, at least in my mind, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but you know, alcohol by volume kind of makes sense, right? If it's 8%, then, okay, I'm going to drink this liquid and you could calculate what percent or what volume actually of alcohol I'm ingesting. But when it, it, when you see THC percentage on a flower, you're not just eating that flower, you're, you're burning it, you're decarboxylating it. It's, it's sort of a different method of ingestion. And is that part of the problem as well? Is that, you know, that percent number isn't actually, you know, telling you what you're actually going to be consuming. You're absolutely correct. So um, that's my advantage. I have my own research lab, so I can actually test and measure things. So for the last few years, we are doing smoke research. So we have a robot that smokes a joint. We can put therefore a joint or a vape cartridge to this robot and then capture what comes out. And we can measure puff by puff and for the whole joint. And we, we recently did studies on seeing if the, the particle size of the flower that you put into a joint. So if you, if you break up a, a flower bud into big chunks or really fine powdery chunks, right. does that make a difference in the inhalation of THC? And it does. If you yeah. have a fine powder in your joint, you inhale double the amount of THC 
for the first few puffs than you do for large chunks. So one millimeter versus five millimeter particle size. So, and it's the same flower. And then in addition, the small particle, the joint burns quicker, and then the large particle, the burn slower and you get more puffs out of it. So overall, you inhale more THC for the large chunks when you smoke the whole joint. But if you just take one or two puffs, then the small particle size is the right one. So this notion, I buy a, I buy a pre-roll joint with 25% THC is better, better in air quotes, because it gets me higher than a 19% TH, total THC joint is wrong because the architecture makes a big difference, right? Particle size, packing density. Um, we also looked at water content uh, and how that affects it. Okay. And, uh, and, and so having a percentage number for an inhalable product that is burned um, doesn't really make much sense because it doesn't directly correlate to how much you inhale. And also, side note, when you smoke a joint, you maybe get 20% of all the THC that's in the joint. So if we say that a joint has 100 milligram of THC in that flower and you smoke it, you inhale 20 milligrams of THC. Wow. Over the course of it, the rest is destroyed, um, goes into the room, sticks to the paper. We haven't found every single milligram of THC at where, where it goes, but not all a, a substantial amount of the cannabis uh, of the THC that's in the cannabis joint doesn't make it to your mouth. Interesting. And then we could also discuss if you inhale it, does it actually reach your bloodstream? Uh, it's a more biological question. And, and part of the ideas that we had for, for different uh, ways of labeling it. But uh, when we are talking about how to label cannabis better, um, my position comes from having done the math, having done the chemistry experiment, actually measuring stuff. Um, and, and so I think I can speak from position of authority saying, the current way is wrong. Right. And now if I understand correctly, so if I have, you know, I have 25% flour, right? And I roll one, one gram joint with very fine particles and another one with bigger chunks. And I consume both entirely, right? In, in different sessions, I'm sure. But I'm going to get a different amount of THC from one versus the other, just based on yes. how the particles are. Wow. Yes. And so, and that's just joints, right? What about, you know, if you're using a, um, a bowl or a bong or a vaporizer, are those all, you know, different? Very likely, but we have so far only done research on joints and vape cartridges. Oh, fun fact, a vape cartridge and a joint are about the same amount of THC per puff. Okay. So it's not that the 90%... Depending on the particle size though, right? <laughs> there are error bars on everything. So sure. 
they are within the same area. So it's not like you inhale one milligram for a joint and 10 milligrams for a vape cartridge. You inhale somewhere between half a milligram to two milligrams in both cases, depending on the, the flour, the mill size, the, the oil, the hardware, but it's, it's somewhere in the same region. And is that independent of what the THC percentage is of the flour? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we tried different, we, we bought different pre-rolls you can buy in the store and we made some from our own flour uh, stock in the safe. And, and it, it, there is, yes, there are factors of one or two, two or three in, in air. So like half a milligram versus two milligrams. But uh, when we think in scientific terms, we normally think in orders of magnitude. So is it one, ten, hundred, right? That size hmm. steps. And it, it's all within the, the one so interesting. milligram so so really that percentage difference that you see, you know, in different products, it doesn't really translate in terms of, you know, in, in actuality. No, and it's not, and the important part, it's not directly correlated. So it's not that the 19% uh, flower gives you less of a buzz than the 25% flower because architecture again, hmm. joint architecture. And in, under joint architecture, I go particle size, packing density, water content, um, paper, uh, mouthpiece, right? everything. Wow. Um, and that also means that the around 20% THC flower and the 90% cannabis oil from a vape cartridge still gives you the same amount of THC per puff. So all the politicians that say that joint uh, that that cannabis is getting too strong, hmm. they see oh ninety percent vape cartridges, but then the vape cards gives you the same per puff again per puff because if you smoke a whole whole vape card that has right. like four hundred puffs on it, um, <laughs> that is going to give you a bigger buzz or a, a total amount of THC, but. I would say that very, very few people can smoke a whole vape cart in one sitting. Yeah, well, I know they exist, you'd be but, surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would say there are more people can smoke a whole joint than that sure. they can smoke a whole. Vape yeah, cart. and I mean, and so what about the whole idea that at least anecdotally, people who may have may have used cannabis back in college or high school, and now they're coming back to it and they buy something from the dispensary and they think, wow, this is way more potent than I remember it being. That might be the case. That might be the case. Um, I'm sure there's an inflection point if you have like 3% THC versus 20% yeah. THC. I, I go with that. Um, and I'm not old enough to be those <laughs> in college back then. Uh, Theoretically, I went, well, effectively, I went directly from college to cannabis, so I can't really say. Um, and I actually never smoked myself, so really difficult. But uh, there's also the aspect that you lose your, um, your tolerance. When you're losing your tolerance to THC or to cannabis in general, it takes about a week, maybe 10 days of not consuming at all to lose most of your tolerance to the drug. So the kids that might have in college dabbled with a few joints, so therefore were regular users 
and have built up a tolerance and yeah. then don't smoke for 30 years. They lost all the tolerance. So is it just the, I lost my tolerance or is it really stronger? And, and I leave other, let others decide on that. Yeah, that's a fair point. And we didn't have, I mean, at least when I was in college, we didn't have laboratory tested um, cannabis either. So we didn't, I mean, I have no idea what the percentage was of that back then. So it very well could have been three or 5%, who knows? Um, so I think we've done a good job of kind of establishing what's wrong with labeling, at least, and this is only just in flower. And I know you have, you know, comments on tinctures and other things too, but so let's, let's talk about what ways we could, we could do better or some ideas that yeah. you've had. Yeah. So my, my base, uh, base thought is don't sell it as the high number of THC, but you still need to inform about the amount of THC present. Right. Because that the regulator requires that. Right. So there needs to be a THC warning on it. There is package sizing, particularly in food and uh, tincture settings. So, um, if you sell it, package it by THC uh, amount, but make it in a way that it's just a given, like a bottle size. Uh, like, let's go to, to just, we, we, we will switch between cannabis and alcohol a lot. Um, so if you think about beer, beer always comes in the same volume. Right? Mm -hmm. It's the same bottle size. So you never really think about bottle sizes. You only think about, oh, today I just want my own beer. Um, or if you're buying a wine, like there are small bottles and large bottles, right? Do I want just a wine bottle for myself or do I want a wine bottle for the, the whole table? Right? So you yep. buy the different size bottle. But otherwise, you don't think about the volume. So can we turn THC into a volume thing, a package size thing? The standard size. Because that, yeah, standard size. So that would allow us to, to, to say, yes, there's THC and you're buying the intoxicating part, but let's now focus on all the other cool things that are in, in our cannabis product. So that you're like, we got away from the THC. Now let's talk about all the other things that make our flower better than the, the, the rest in the store. And if you... In Canada, you can't do advertisement, you can't do fancy labeling, but you can inform about testing. So, okay. So my, I have two proposals for, for the THC question. And that would be either we take the idea of alcohol, um, the standard drink. So you would have a box or a jar of flour. And in that jar is not a gram or an eighth, but there is one or two servings of THC. Hmm. So at that point, it becomes unimportant if the flower is 19% or 25%, because you always have the same amount of THC in there. Um, and how we then define the serving size, um, that can be, we in the industry could come up with an idea or work with regulator on that because we already have a serving size in edibles 
um, depending on which country or state you are in, that might be five milligrams, 10 milligrams per serving. So if we think about that, the standard joint right now is one gram flour and has 20% THC. So let's say 200 milligrams of THC would be our serving size. So we just package each jar that has then 200 milligrams of THC. Mm -hmm. um, and there, therefore there might be one gram or one and a half grams or only 0.8 grams of flour in there, depending on the concentration. But you know that when you consume this, you theoretically had the same amount of THC. And if every box from every supplier is 100, 200 milligrams of THC, you can then start thinking, how about we buy the one with the, the fruity terpenes or we buy the ones with the, with the skunky flavor, which, which comes from thiols. Um, or we do this from the local uh, grower. So you can move away from THC and think about other, other things. Hmm. Because the cannabis industry always talks about the entourage effect and all the other flavors and then sells it at total THC. So like, let's try to like put this all together and like do a con uh, consistent marketing messaging. Yeah, and so, it, so if, I, if I understand your point here, like if you had a standard serving size, then I mean, if you had a 25% flour versus a 10% flour, there would be more actual biomass in the 10%, right? Because you would need more of it to reach that right. serving size. Right. Okay. Right. But um, it's similar to, a, uh, to, to beer, wine, alcohol, and, and vodka. You already know that the serving size of beer is bigger than a shot of vodka. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, that you are supposedly consume the same amount of alcohol. Yeah, a drink is a drink is a drink. Yeah, while you might be able to down a vodka bottle quicker before you feel full or intoxicated, right. and then you have consumed more alcohol, but that's a different story. Uh, luckily, THC inhalation is very, very quick in its intoxication. So overconsumption is less of an issue there. Uh, I understand it is an issue for unexperienced users on the edible side. Right. That's why we have serving sizes there. Yeah. No, that's a good point. No, and I think, you know, the... The correlation, again, to alcohol uh, makes sense when you're comparing beer versus wine versus a spirit. Although, um, what about craft beer in the fact that, you know, some of these beers are getting up to like 9% alcohol by volume. So like the whole idea of, uh, you know, I drink one Budweiser and I feel a certain way versus, uh, you know, a one of these craft beers that's 9%. Is that more of a... a an apt comparison to what we're seeing with cannabis and the, the differences in the percentages there? No, because then Budweiser would have gone bankrupt if that would be the case. Because that's what currently happens to all the cannabis producers that can't make a flower over 20%. Mm -hmm. Right. So people are buying a Budweiser not because of the alcohol content, but for another reason. I think underlying they buy it for an alcohol content. Otherwise, the, the <laughs> alcohol-free Budweiser would be selling uh, massively. 
True, but I'm just saying if the one like like we see in cannabis, the kind of the sole determining factor of quote unquote quality is your is your THC percentage. That's not the case in alcohol, or else Budweiser wouldn't be the most popular. I'm German, so I find it difficult to find quality in, in American beers. But uh, different story. So I said popular, not better. <laughs> the 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 alcohol user or alcohol consumer is aware that there is more to the drink than just the the alcohol number and therefore craft beers that go to nine percent or there's some stark beer in germany and scotland where they have gotten over 30 percent alcohol content (laughs) they're using freeze drying to do that Uh, it's very laborious but Again, if you if you want a craft beer with more oomph, then you might do so. But that might be more a question of do I want a wine or a beer of that alcohol content than saying I just want to drink five glasses of beer today. Do I take Bud or the 9% craft beer? I think that's not really the question you have there. It's more you are you are considering what flavor experience you want to have, and, and that might include this craft beer of 9%. Or you pick a white wine versus a red wine. Um, and there pe- people go and, and, and consider flavors. And actually, wine might be a better exper- uh, example than beer because... A Budweiser is a Budweiser. It like tastes the same everywhere. It's always the same. But right. in in wines, we already know that different years have different d- different years from the same wine producer have different flavors, and and there are priced years and and not, not so priced years. And the 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 variety and uh, variability of of flavor experience is priced into a wine. And right. people seek that out. And that's what cannabis is. We, the cannabis industry has an impossible task on trying to make a consistent product that tastes the same every time right. and has the same THC content every time. So why not give up on it and think about it more from the craft or uh, craft brewery or the, um, the vineyard approach? Yeah. No, I mean, and it's something that's come up time and time again on this podcast was the whole is the whole idea of the laser focus on THC percentage is, you know, doing a disservice to the industry just for the reasons that you said that, you know, people aren't concentrating on the flavors, the aromas, um, or even just, you know, how clean the smoke is, how, you know, pleasant it is on the pole or anything like that. It's just THC percentage. And, you know, perhaps having a standard unit like you've outlined is a way to sort of level the playing field. Right? Yeah. And, and the regulator has been able to do that in the, on the edible side. The, prior to regulations, there were chocolates with like 420 milligrams of THC yeah. or, or the 1,000 milligram THC chocolate bar. Like the, this like, oh, we, we put a gram of pure THC into the chocolate. These were, these things existed. And then the regulator came and said like, no, do it in a, in a package size. And, and then 
the industry can adapt. I, I find it annoying when people say, oh, don't do regulations. Um, people are like industries or products adapt to pressures and uh, it might even make for a better product. Yeah. So I, I could assume we are early enough in this industry, in this legal industry. And in the US, it's still not legal. Right. Uh, in Canada, it is. Uh, and in Germany, medical is, but they're thinking about regulational. So I think we're really early enough to maybe do a concerted effort by the industry or N, and or the regulator to say package size. Mm. THC is package size, not THC percentage, but THC package size. Yeah. And and you have to have different package sizes for different different product classes. You can't you can't say that uh, the same amount of THC should be in a joint than in a vape cart. We are going to run into issues there. And uh, and then this would allow us to think about all the other benefits or so that that uh, cannabis has to offer to the consumer. Yeah. No. And I think you're right. I think you know edibles you know, like you said, that has been regulated to be kind of more of a standard size. And I think, you know, tinctures, the way that that's measured or the way that that's labeled, that makes a lot more sense too, right? It's the amount of milligrams that are in this volume um, makes a lot makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah, and we, we saw a standardization there that, right, it's like normally like, what is it, 40 milligrams per milliliters or so, and you have like 100 milliliter per bottle or so, right? It, just, it somewhat has standardized itself. And, and there it is because you can, you can measure the THC before you formulate it into the product, right? Into the chocolate, into the oil, right? You can measure that. Um, so in, in, in cannabis flower, where you can't control it as well, you just have to get away from the weight and just say, well, we just, uh, the weight of the biomass and just like do different weight, go away from the ounce and the, the, uh, the eighth and the gram and just say package size of yeah. that many milligrams of THC. And like, like we had talked about earlier, so much of, what is eventually going to get into your body is going to be dependent on what method that you use to ingest it, right? right. Whether it's and a joint versus uh, anything else. Yes, and, and you're absolutely right. And that is actually the, the alternative um, way of labeling that I, that I propose. So there's the alcohol side, right? Package size, that many milligrams of THC per, per package, um, like a standard drink, like a standard unit. Um, but it doesn't speak to how much THC you actually get into your system or how intoxicating that is. We know that that uh, edibles hit you harder than flour because the THC is digested first in the liver and it forms the 11-hydroxy-THC, which is more intoxicating, so you get a bigger buzz. Um, and we talked about that joints, depending on their architecture, deliver different amounts of THC to the body. So therefore, even the same same flour, depending on how you make it, would deliver different amounts of THC. So if you go by package size, you would have the same package size, but different effects. Right. So therefore, um, I thought of an alternative, but a little, uh, but more complicated way to presenting. So not the presentation is not more complicated, but the finding that number is more complicated. Um, did you take your multivitamins this morning? Um, not a multivitamin, but I do take vitamin D. 
Okay, so uh, how many, uh, how much vitamin D did you take this morning? Um, I, I believe it's 1,000 IU. Right, you took a thousand uh, international units of vitamin D. So how much milligram was that? I don't know. You don't care. That's okay because the international units are built to give the same effect independent of the formulation to the user. And it's, a, it's an arbitrary measure that is not translatable from vitamin D that you took to vitamin C that others might take or uh, vitamin B or whatever other multivitamins they take. So the international unit doesn't care about the amount you consume. It cares about the biological effect. And so you see where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. So how about we do a really, really complicated, long <laughs> and expensive study on figuring out how different cannabis products and formulations and consumption methods affect the body and deliver the same uh, and then try to find the, the right amounts per formulation to deliver the same amount of THC to the brain to get the same intoxication or yeah, to deliver DHC to get the same intoxication. So you see, it's way more difficult to, yeah. <laughs> to do, but they have done it for vitamin D and vitamin C and so on. So it like, it can be done, but I'm not a biologist or medic uh, or a doctor. So I actually don't really understand how they do it. I just know that it, it's been done. And but, if we, sorry. But there are a lot more variables in cannabis, right? Because of the different cultivars, the different modes of administration and all that sort of thing. Yes. And so that's why I had to offer two ideas because you can shut down an idea early or I invite experts in that field to come and help with comments. So I might just have pushed the stone. I hope that others help rolling it along. <laughs> Excellent. So um, if you then say now you if you have to figure that out you could now say now we sell cannabis as a thousand IUs and then you can say the chocolate is a thousand uh, one piece of chocolate is a thousand IUs one dropper of that tincture is a thousand IUs and this one joint is a thousand IUs at that point and, and from that, we know that it's different milligrams for the tincture, for the flour, and for the chocolate. But the end consumer doesn't need to understand now milligrams, milligrams per milliliter, and percent weight percentages. The consumer only needs to remember one thing I use, or standard unit, or whatever you want to call it. I wanted to call it standard buzz, uh, but <laughs> or unit of buzz. But I, I, I leave that again to other people. And so the end consumer only has to remember that there is one kind of measurement or, or numbering and that that user, if they are new, they are advised to take a thousand. Yep. Uh, and if they see that was a bit much, then they might realize after the second or third time, like 500 is their preferred number. And for uh, experienced user, they might go to 5,000 units. 
but they then can switch from a joint to a to a cookie or to a gummy and know that they get the same buzz. They don't have to retitrate every single time. Right. And it's in the nutraceutical realms that I use. So this standard unit of effect in cannabis would also be in this semi-medical effect and that uh, or realms. And that's what, what medical marijuana was the trailblazer for the legalization, the medical effects. Mm -hmm. And it would help with the titra uh, self titration of the product. Excellent. All right, Marcus, I know I'm already over the time that I, I promised I would keep you. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's going to generate a lot of good discussion at CanMed. Um, yeah, I hope so, too. But before I let you go, um, I'm already going to provide links to the articles that I know that you've written on the topic um, in the show notes. But if there are any other resources that you would like to share or that people can read up more kind of on this issue, please please let us know right now. And then, uh, of course, any social media or websites that you'd want to plug, uh, please. Sure. Thank you very much. I, I do all in one. Um, our website uh, is nowadays effectively uh, a, a depository for all our uh, publications, presentations, podcasts, white papers, basically all the research we do, we publish on our website. And that would be DalekLabs.com slash insights. So Dalek Labs, Dalek comes from psychedelics because that's our parent company. So D-E-L-I-C-L-A-B-S.com slash insights. Excellent. All right, Marcus, thanks again. And I look forward to seeing you down in Marco Island. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Marcus Roggen. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode sponsor, Juva Life. Our next episode will drop March 1st. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, head over to canmedevents.com now to check out our preliminary speaker list and details about our professional development workshops. While you're there, if you haven't received an invitation yet, you can request your invitation for the CanMed 23 Innovation and Investment Summit. We are really excited about this year's event and truly believe it has the power to transform our industry through collaboration and innovation. I sincerely hope to see you there. But if you can't make it in person to Marco Island, we do hope that you will continue to stay connected with us through the podcast and through our social media channels. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for CanMed Events. All right, and that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next CanMed Coffee Talk.